0: Well, this is uh, the third and final week in our series that we've titled Fireproof Your Marriage, where we're talking about uh, relationships and marriage in our lives. And today I want to talk with you about something that I call spirit-filled marriage, spirit-filled marriage. And in the interest of time, I'm going to assume a little bit more today than I normally do on weekends. I'm going to assume that you've heard the last two messages on marriage given here on the, the last two weekends. I'm going to assume that you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to assume that you know at least a little something about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, a little bit later on, you're going to have the opportunity to text in some questions on relationships and on marriage that uh, a team of uh, married couples will will handle. So you can get ready for that and be thinking about that. But first, I want to do a short teaching on spirit-filled marriage. So. You can reach into your bulletin and pull out the study guide. You can follow along with us. And um, if you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would, this morning. Now, it's certainly true that most couples, when they start out their married lives, have high hopes and big dreams for their marriage, I think. Most couples would say, I'd like to have a great marriage or a happy marriage or a fulfilling marriage or a mutually satisfying marriage. But today I'm hoping to sell you on the notion of shooting for a spirit-filled marriage. I know that uh, many of you would say, well, spirit-filled marriage is a happy marriage. It is a fulfilling and mutually satisfying marriage. And and I would agree with that. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes and teaches followers of Jesus Christ about spirit-filled marriage, but before he starts talking about marriage, he starts talking about just spirit-filled living in general, and of course, that would make sense because you can't have a spirit-filled marriage unless the spouses in that marriage are living under the Spirit's control. So that's where we're going to start today, with spirit-filled living, whether you're married or whether you're single. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this applies to all of us this morning. I'd like you to look with me at Ephesians 5, verses 17 and 18. And would you read with me out loud these verses together? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I wonder how many of us in our lives have learned that it's foolish to not do the Lord's will. Have you learned that yet? Not doing the Lord's will is a foolish thing. And here in this section, Paul tells us what the Lord's will is. This is the word of the Lord to us who follow Christ. First he says, don't get drunk. Don't become intoxicated with alcoholic beverages. And then he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. I really deeply believe that as followers of Jesus, we need to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul felt his readers needed to understand that. And so he used a very interesting analogy, one that many people of his day were familiar with, and many of you are too getting drunk. And he infers that being filled with the Spirit is similar in some ways with getting drunk. And he draws some comparisons. You say, well, how so? Well, both begin with a choice. Just as no one accidentally stumbles into getting drunk, no one accidentally stumbles in to getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It begins with a decision, a choice. In addition to that, both of these things involve drinking something in, don't they? How does someone get drunk? By drinking alcohol into their system. How does someone get filled with the Spirit? By drinking something into your system. But it's not the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible is very clear that when a person gets saved, they get all of the Holy Spirit that you can ever receive. So it's not that we're drinking in more and more of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.16 says that the substance that God wants us to drink into our systems is the Word of God, the Word of the living God. I think it could also be said that both of these things involve drinking in a lot. Back then, in those days, the alcohol content of their wine was such that if you wanted to get drunk, you had to drink a lot of wine. And I think it's the same with being filled with the Spirit. Just a little sip of God's Word on weekends isn't going to do it for you. You've got to drink in a lot. That's why we talk a lot around here about having that daily quiet time with God, habit number one, and spending time every day in this book, in the Word of God, drinking it in, day in and day out, and day in and day out. And then, this is true, isn't it? Both of these things, both getting drunk and being filled with the Spirit, involve turning over the controls. When someone is drinking in order to get drunk, at some point they turn over the controls. The alcohol in their system takes over, and their behavior changes. But when it comes to being filled with the Spirit, we're not talking about turning the controls over to some substance in your system. We're talking about surrendering to the Holy Spirit who's already in your system. You see, the Spirit-filled life is the Spirit-controlled life. Would you say that phrase with me? The Spirit-filled life is the Spirit-controlled life. That's what we're talking about today. Another similarity between getting drunk and being filled with the Spirit is, you could say this, both of them result in atypical behavior. Some of you maybe have experienced this recently. Intoxicated people have been known to display all kinds of uncharacteristic behaviors. Normally quiet people can get loud and brash under the influence of alcohol. Mild-mannered people can get violent. Modest people Normally modest people can lose all of their inhibitions and do things that, when they hear about them later, they regret and they become very embarrassed and red faced. You're kidding me? I did that? I'm afraid so. We know that getting drunk can result in atypical behavior, but I want us to understand that followers of Jesus who choose to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We'll see some atypical behavior emerge in their lives as well, and we're going to talk about some of those shortly. And then I think a final similarity between these two things that you could say is that both of them are addictive. Both of them are addictive. Just as alcohol can hook you, so can being filled with the Spirit. Once you start, it's hard to stop. There's a kind of spiritual intoxication that comes from knowing God and knowing that He lives in you and that he's living his life through you, that God is in control and it makes you want to live that way all the time. How many of you are with me so far? Nod your head, raise your hand. something. Okay. So Paul is inferring there's some similarities between getting drunk with alcohol and being filled with the Spirit. And so some of you might be thinking, well, if if being Spirit-filled is so much like getting drunk, why not just get drunk? Well, there's also some notable differences, and he contrasts these as well. Think about this. With being filled with the spirit, no disgusting hangovers, vomiting, or toilet hugging. We'll follow that experience, unlike being drunk. No destruction of brain cells. Most of us need all the brain cells we have. No driving accidents. In fact... Being filled with the Spirit might help you become an even more courteous driver out on the roads. And then, no debauchery. That, just, that word just sounds bad, doesn't it? We don't, most people don't know what it means. Debauchery refers to the stuff that you did while you were drunk that you find out about later and regret. And we could go into all that, but we probably know what that is. Bottom line is that being filled with the Spirit is better. So much better than being intoxicated with alcohol. Now, as I said, being filled with the Spirit is a choice, just like getting drunk is a choice. And Paul is teaching us here that being filled with the Spirit is a conscious, continuous choice that God commands all of his followers to make. The, the, the grammar, the language in this verse Where it says be filled with the Spirit literally means keep on continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a day in, day out choice to yield the control of our lives to the Holy Spirit who lives in us. See, I like to start out every day with a prayer. When I get up in the morning, when I first get out of bed, I I try to say this every every morning. Holy Spirit, fill me today. I yield the controls of my life to you today. Fill me up. Lead me today. When I grab the keys off of my dresser, it reminds me to that, that in my life, I want to turn the keys of my life over to the Holy Spirit for that day. And so I'll just whisper, Holy Spirit, you drive my life today. Here's the keys to my life. You be the driver. Take me where you want me to go. Fill me up. Dr. Kenneth we said that being filled with the Spirit is not a matter of putting gas in your tank. It's a matter of putting a driver at your wheel. Keep on being continuously filled by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Whoever is driving your life, whoever's in control, that makes a huge, huge difference in your life, doesn't it? Huge difference. Paul mentioned some of the effects or some of the results of being filled by the Spirit. Read with me verses 19 through 21 of Ephesians 5. Read it out loud with me if you would. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What Paul's doing here is he is specifically mentioning four outcomes, four results in the life, emerging in the life of a follower of Jesus who's being filled by the Holy Spirit. Four new attitudes and behaviors that spirit-filled followers of Jesus will begin to see in their lives. You might want to underline these four words. Speak, sing, give thanks, and submit. First thing he says is that being filled with the Spirit will result in our conversation being changed to uplifting conversation. Oh, my gracious, how many of us in our homes could stand to have a climate change when it comes to our conversation, the tone, the climate in our homes? And Paul is saying when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to see things like biting sarcasm and put-downs and chronic criticism. We're going to see those falling away, and we're going to see more uplifting conversation in our homes and coming out of our mouths. Because the Spirit's driving now. The Holy Spirit is in control. A second result is a song in your heart. A heart that's full of worship. Do you see where it says that? Singing and making melody in your heart. You know, I can tell very easily when I'm filled with the Spirit and when I'm not. Because when I am, there's a song in my heart. And I find myself, you know, singing it or kind of mumbling the words or maybe even whistling it. Last weekend I was in prison and I found someone else on our team who was whistling all the time, just whistling all the time, these spiritual songs.
1: I was in prison as a,
0: a, in a ministry, okay? Just to clarify that. I was on a ministry team that went into the prison as a minister, um, not as an incarcerated person. But this person was whistling all the time. Do you have a song in your heart? Do you have a song in your heart? Not a Miley Cyrus song, a song in your heart, you know, a, a spiritual song in your heart. With a, there's joy bubbling up on the inside. That's a result of a spirit-filled life. Uplifting conversation, a heart full of worship, and then an attitude of gratitude. He says, when we're filled with the spirit, we'll be giving thanks in all things. And so the chronic whining and grumbling and complaining, we'll, we'll see those things kind of fall away we'll begin to to sense in our hearts a deep thankfulness for the things that we do have. And then finally, a submissive spirit says submitting to one another. Instead of the me first, always got to be right, always got to come out on top attitude, when we're filled with the spirit, we'll be saying you first, you ahead of me. What would you like to do? How can I honor you? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, what does all this have to do with my marriage? Everything. (laughs) Everything. Everything. Whether or not you and I are living under the influence of the Holy Spirit makes a huge difference in our marriages, does it not? I know for me, you know, often the, the, the choice in the moment To be in the flesh, to respond in the flesh or in the spirit is just a matter of two or three seconds. And who I choose to respond to in that moment makes a huge difference in our marriages. And Paul apparently thought so because he immediately links spirit-filled living to married life. And as he he goes on to talk about how spirit-filled spouses, spirit-filled husbands and wives relate to each other in their marriage. Let me read verse 22 for you of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. There's a countercultural message for you. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In other words, Spirit-filled wives are, by the power of the Spirit, allowing their husbands to lead in the home. And then husbands, it says, verse 25, love your wives. Makes it easier for the wife to do that. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself after all no one ever hated his own body but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body what's he saying he's saying that spirit-filled husbands in their marriages will actively love their wives in the way that their wives need to be loved will love them sacrificially spiritually and practically meeting their needs then he quotes this verse from Genesis that we looked at a couple weeks ago for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound <laughs> mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church then look at verse 33 However, he kind of sums it all up here, capsulates it. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. That is the picture of a spirit-filled marriage. A spirit-filled husband loving his wife as she needs to be loved and a spirit-filled wife respecting her husband. Maybe you're here today and you're married, and you hear this, and you're saying to yourself, "No way. I could never, ever do that in my marriage. My husband. Oh, if you only knew my husband, he doesn't deserve my respect. He hasn't earned my respect. I could never treat him with the kind of honor that it's talking about here. or my wife.
1: My wife has become
0: so unlovely, so unlovable. It's just not in my heart. I can't find it in my heart to love her anymore. If that's what you're saying today, I would say this. You're right on one count. You can't. You can't. That's why all of us need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that he can live his life through us.
1: I just think God has designed marriage
0: in such a way that we get to a point where it can bring us to the end of our human capacity to love, to the point where we say, God, I need you more than I thought. I'm desperate for you. I don't have it in me. Spirit of God, please take over now. My tanks are empty, so fill me up and love this person through me. In fact, I'm convinced that being married can help us and convince us of our need to be filled with the Spirit like almost nothing else except perhaps having children. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, just before we bring our panel up here, I want to show you a diagram that offers a lot of insight into many marriages. It's called the crazy cycle, and it's going to come up on the screen. Remember those two words we saw in Ephesians five thirty-three: love and respect? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. You might want to circle those two words. They're very important. I think that what we see here in the, is that the Bible plainly says what research has shown to be true about us as men and women. And that is that as men and women, our fundamental basic needs and drives are different. Is that a newsflash to any of us? They're different. Women need love. Men need respect. That's why in a spirit-filled marriage, the husband is loving his wife the way she needs to be loved, and the wife, the spirit-filled wife, is respecting her husband the way he needs to be respected. A spirit-filled marriage is full of love and respect, and it can be a beautiful thing, but... When spouses are not filled with the Spirit, not living under the Spirit's control, this crazy cycle can take over. And you can get caught up in this thing and just go round and round and round in it. You say, what's the crazy cycle? How does it work? Well, it could start like this. A wife begins to treat her husband with disrespect or in ways that he feels dishonored or disrespected or or that he's being treated with contempt. And without respect, he reacts to his wife in ways that are unloving, and that she interprets as unloving, but love is her deepest need. So, without feeling love, she reacts back with what? More disrespect, and he feels more disrespected, and he reacts with you know less and less love, and you get in this cycle that just goes round and round. And some couples have been in this downward spiral for years. Now. We're going to talk about this a little bit more, but I'm going to ask the married couples on our panel to uh, come on up at this time, and um, you'll get to meet them in just a moment. An email address is going to come up on the screen, and if you want to turn your cell phones back on, you can do that right now, and you can put this email address, live at into your contacts on your cell phone, and uh, in just a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to text a question. Up to our platform, and we probably, in a group this size, we probably won't be able to get to all of them. But we'll get to as many as we can in the next few minutes. And if you don't know how to text, just find a teenager on your row, and they'll help you. A middle schooler, because that's how they communicate these days, just through texting. Okay? And I'm sure they'd be glad to help you. Or if if this is texting's just not your thing, we actually have uh, ushers with four by six cards that you can actually write out longhand, you know, the old-fashioned way, your questions. So ushers, if you would kind of meander through the room and pass those four-by-six cards out to any, anyone who's raising their hands, um, we'll get to as many of these as we can in our time allotment. So uh, here is our marriage panel, and uh, these are some great couples here. I think we'll start by letting you guys just introduce yourselves, if you would, to everybody and maybe tell us uh, how long you've been married and how many children or grandchildren you have and about how long you've been attending New Life as well. Okay, so Bill, we'll start with you.
1: Hi, my name is Bill Robbins. I've uh, been attending uh, New Life since 1995, and I've been married uh, for a years. And we have five children, four married...
2: Okay. Uh, I work
3: born in the and uh, we've been a new life. Uh, 20 plus years. We've been here a while. I'm Brian my wife, We've been going here three years. We've been married five, and uh, we have a two-year-old
1: <laughs>
0: now, I asked these couples to serve on this panel. They um, are either on staff at our church or they're involved in our marriage enrichment ministries here or part of a marriage enrichment group. And uh, they wanted me to make sure that you knew that these, they do not claim to have perfect marriages, okay? So if after the service you see them squabbling out in the lobby, just don't hold them to any, you know, inordinately high standard in that regard, okay? But I've, I've asked these folks because I know they're grounded in the Word of God, and I know they have uh, unique life experiences, and they have the ability to articulate, you know, um, quickly, off the cuff, kind of, you know, what they believe about marriage and about relationships. So the way we're going to start this to kind of lead into this segment is, is to go back to this crazy cycle, that uh, i mentioned earlier and bill claire we'll start with you would you take a few moments to just explain that crazy cycle a little bit more so we can all understand how it works and then also talk about how couples can go about reversing that so that it, you know things begin to go in the other direction well, one i We have a graphic of that energizing cycle. If you guys could, could put that up on the screen and um, talks about how to kind of reverse that whole crazy cycle thing. I think it's going to come up here in a minute. Just as a follow-up question to that. And by the way, when you text in your questions, it's anonymous, okay? I'm not going to say this is Sherry in the fifth row in the center section, okay? it's just It'll be totally anonymous. So you can start sending those in. I'm getting a couple here. But um, I want to talk about or take a minute to talk about a question that came in last hour, and that is in this, in this love and respect cycle, what do you do if you're a spouse and you feel like your spouse is faking it, <laughs> faking the love, that, that it's not sincere or the respect? How do you, how do you handle that?
1: Uh, the uh, love that's talked about in Ephesians 5.33 is not romantic love, it's sacrificial love. And if your spouse is doing good things for you, sacrificial love, you cannot fake that. And doing it, regardless of how you feel, is true love. Uh, It's most love when you don't feel like it. Like, if I'm not really feeling good about Claire right now, but I decide to do something special for her, that is an act of love, and it's not fake it. And when we do the acts of love, the feelings come. In the abuse comes
0: as result of the act should be the cause uh, of the air. Just to kind of follow up on that, Katie from South Dakota writes in and says, what, no, right, here's a question. What behaviors, and I think, Ginny, you addressed this last hour, so maybe you could t- tackle this one. What specific behaviors demonstrate respect?
4: Uh, for women, I think. Um, that's a, that's an easy one because one thing I want to warn everybody on the ladies is is when you watch television, especially um, I've like noticed, I'm sure you have too, that there's a very very prominent attitude of disrespect for their husbands or their boyfriends in television. I've noticed that over and over again. That seems to be the funny thing to do on TV, but in real life it doesn't work that way. Um, I think a couple good things to remember are that. Uh, that when you're in public, you do not make fun of your shops. Um, because you have a real problem with your husband that you really need to address, wait for you to turn home a and then talk about it. Um, and one other thing, ladies, be very, very careful. Don't be tempted. i you know, into this once or twice. Is don't be tempted to, when you get together with other ladies, it's, it's just kind of husband-bash, you know. It's fun, but it doesn't do your attitude any good at all. It really doesn't. And then it can affect your parents. So, those are some things. Just treat your husband with respect. Love him for who he is. You know, one way that I show Claude respect is that he knows all about fixing things, and I don't. And I don't want to know about it. And so, whenever something needs fixed, I show him respect. That he knows what he's talking about. And if I forget to show him that respect, he usually lets me But he knows all about that, and I know. But uh, that's just another
0: thing. So there's some blessed ignorance there in terms of not knowing how to fix things, right? All right. Um, how about this one? And questions are pouring in now. I appreciate that. What about when kids enter the picture? Several couples are asking, you know, we were doing great, and then kids came along. And so now we sense that we're growing more and more distant as a married couple because a lot of our energy is being, you know, channeled elsewhere now with with our kids and their activities. Um, What can we do as a couple to establish reconnection in our marriage? So Brian and Piper, I'm going to give you that one
4: we reinstituted um, a date night um, which was really easy going before we had kids but now it's a little redgrass and bedtime and continuing to come back and back and get out um, and a shrinking um,
3: kind of date night doesn't
4: have to be get a babysitter and go out to a week good dinner
3: for those of us who don't have much income it can just
4: be sharing a whole live stream on a quarter stream the idea of a date night for us is studying spend together one on one. No distractions, no dogs,
0: no kids, no balls being in the background, just us being paid. I'm going to keep it with you guys because, again, there are several questions along the lines of um, living together before getting married. What's the big deal about premarital sex? Um, you could ask it this way. Doesn't it make a lot of sense to live together first before getting married to kind of do a test drive to see if we're really compatible?
3: Talk about that. Well, men and women are not compatible. it doesn't get any easier if you do that before marriage or after. But um, first off, you know the, the Bible is real clear about God perfect example for us. He wants to have the absolute best marriage you could possibly ever dream of. And part of that is um, saving yourself for that one person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And uh, by doing the other, um, you're outside of God's plan. And when you're outside of God's plan, things happen. Um, we were actually looking up, preparing this talk about what question would come but um, just looking at the statistics on uh, cohabitating before getting married, and the statistics were astonishing. The people that supposedly found themselves compatible uh, get married and were fifty to seventy-five percent more likely to get divorced, and typically due to infidelity, uh, as opposed to anything else. Claude.
2: I just want to make for the comment about that with regard to you know as believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that he added to you. And you know, we can find all kinds of reasons to justify uh disobeying God's word. We can come up with a variety of reasons why it makes sense for us to be together before marriage. But the truth is that God's word is true, and Jesus Christ is true. And any you try to circumvent His desire, His plan—let uh, me assure you—it's not going to work out the way you think it is. And this, you know, this idea of um, um, having sexual relationships or those kinds of things before marriage—he gives us those, those boundaries and those plans for a reason, and. Consequences occur whenever we disobey God's word. So I think ultimately, especially if we clear in Christ, our first and foremost responsibility is to follow His will and His desire. Now, someone who doesn't know Christ obviously is apt to do anything they choose to do, and they're just being, uh, living a life as natural as unbeliever. But if you're, a, if you're a believer in Christ, you really need to hold to that reality that you're going to obey God first in, every of your life, especially in your relationship with a, uh,
0: potential spouse let's keep it with you and, and here's a question that has come up a number of times after we've got married you know now in our married life infidelity has occurred one spouse or the other has been unfaithful is there any hope is there any hope for a marriage where infidelity has
2: occurred well you know Obviously, that situation immediately on mine goes to the fact that there is no hope that we're headed for divorce. And you know, Matthew, in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to um, uh, the folks there, and he's talking about this issue of marriage and divorce. And in that day, they, they were being divorced for every reason under the sun. It was just an easy thing to Jesus was talking about the the realities of, um, of divorce, and he says that. Obviously, if there's an issue of infidelity, that divorce was permitted. But as a spouse in a a, a marriage relationship, especially if you believe in Jesus Christ, obviously we would have the right, based on Jesus' words, to go through that divorce um, situation. But I think there's a higher calling that he calls us to. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And that higher calling is the responsibility to be forgiven. And if you have a spouse who has been unfaithful and they have repented of that issue and they are turning away from that relationship, the spouse who has been the offended part of has the right to end the marriage. But clearly, I think, the responsibility for us in that situation is to be forgiven. You know, God forgives us of our sins, but being omnipotent, He knows all. He doesn't necessarily forget our sins. That's what grace is about. Grace, God acts toward us as though it never happened. And through the Spirit of God, we as believers in Jesus Christ can act toward one another as though those of have never
3: occurred. And so, only through the Spirit of God is there hope, in any, any, in any
2: marriage, whether there's been infidelity or not. But as she was talking about being filled with the Spirit, I thinking that's a challenge and it's a very hard situation to, to live through. But there's always hope when you trust in God's Spirit and when both parties are seeking to respond to God the way he has responded to God.
0: Yeah, that's great. A young woman writes in and says, are there any 25 to 35 year old young single men who are ready to settle down? <laughs> so, see your hands. Ready to commit? Meet at the water fountain after the service, okay? Here's one that comes in several. I'm trying to categorize these from from wives. How can you be a submissive wife in an independent woman's world and last Last celebration, we had someone write in and say, you know, both my husband and I are, are in management positions in the world, in our careers. You know, we're in high-powered roles out there. And then the challenge of, you know, this role in the marriage, how do you, how do you flesh that out? What are some things, some pieces of counsel you could give to someone like that? Who wants to take it? Okay.
4: Um, I, was, interesting. I was raised in a family... My mom and dad and we have children from the dad's just got all And where um, my dad was definitely not the head of the house, like his mom who wear to place. And while I, you know, didn't really realize anything when I was growing up as a child, now I understand as an adult and understand what God wants for us in marriage is that that was totally foreign to me. Um, when Juan and I were married, we um, we went through a period of, of, not, of trying to adjust to each other, of course, and that was probably one of my biggest challenges. Was I was I wanted to run the show, you know, but what I found was that not only was it okay for me not to be in charge all the time. And certainly, he gives me you know I I have a lot of abilities and, and things that he doesn't want to be good at. He lets me do those. Okay, it's like talking about fixing it. But, you know, there's other stuff that he just pretty much deferred to me all the time. And we talk about things as equals. But when it comes to push, jump, to stuff, and the decision we make, I am more than willing to let him make that decision because I feel that's what God wants me to do. And that does not at all conflict with uh, the way that I run myself in public as a teacher, as a teacher. It works better, you know, than me trying to run the show. Because, again, as was saying earlier, when it goes against the plan that God has set it for us, it's not going to work. You know, it's going to affect someone negatively. It's going to affect me negatively. It's going to affect our relationship negatively. It's going to affect our children negatively as well. So I think it just, I'm not trying, I don't go against God's word on that side. So. You know, Jenny is,
2: is an extremely, um, Capable, intelligent woman, and uh, and I realized that uh, she could survive
1: without me. But I praise God that He has used this relationship,
2: and we are in a relationship. Uh, you know, I can be bullheaded sometimes, and I can be—I uh, mean, you know, huge, right?
3: Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and. <laughs>
2: really, you know, we have a, a mutual uh, relationship. We love each other. We respect each other. And as each one of us submits the spirit in our lives, uh, that seeking the kingdom of God first, um, things work out. They, you know, there are these, we usually don't have these problems of, of power struggle. Mm-hmm.
0: we got time for about two more quick ones, if we can... Um... Be somewhat brief. Several questions. You know, the passion is gone. How could you know? How can we reignite passion in our marriage? How can? What can I do as as a spouse to cause my marriage to flourish once again? So, how about each of you with one quick thing? Okay. So we'll start with Bill.
1: Uh, The thing that works best for us, in my opinion, is just getting away. Whether it's for a day or uh, overnight. Weekend, uh, there's something about getting away from the house and the phones and the, the other people and the things in our life that kind of takes us back to our early days. And it's just refreshing. And, uh, and it's not the most spiritual answer, but it's the one that works too for us. Just create it. <laughs> God wants us to have.
4: I uh, like uh, the school that like, comes um, and we have a bunch of like do uh, something creative to I don't to
0: admit what I mean. I won't do. Uh, <laughs> it's getting too personal here, but uh, just wait till we get to Brian. <laughs>
4: I uh, understand, you know, being a wife is a, a high calling. You know, we have the opportunity to use this guy to help our husband be all he can be, And however God needs you in being a benefit, you know, that leads me to be a benefit to him, so that He, in his life is better, easier, uh, and that creates more love
2: in our You know, because because this is a relationship, you know, Jenny and I will often feel at times that there's um, like a wall. You know, you, you ever feel that way? You know, just take, you just start talking much, or when you do, you're just kind of snipping with each other. And usually when these walls start building between us, it's because we haven't been able to spend any in the way spending time together. I mean, time is a very important thing. Piece of, of this conversation. And, and uh, so, uh, one thing that we, we began doing, and it just kind of happened by accident, but it's been, it's been something that I really enjoy, is uh, a few years back, remember when the Left Behind series came out, all those books started coming out? We just began reading to each other. And we read through that entire series, but it was like before we go to bed, before we go to sleep night, we'll have a book that we're reading together, or maybe I'll read a chapter to her, or she'll read a chapter to me. And it's and I look forward to that, because it's just a time, no matter what the day's like, no matter what's going on, there's at least, there's that one time when we're just kind of connected together. And that seems to kind of keep those balls of uh, uh, this communication uh, One thing that we have also tried, and this is uh, it's just a
4: kind of thing, do something fun together. Um, Way back, though, Claire and Phil asked to sing a duet at one of their American films. And, uh, I heard something about you there. We sang a song
1: about Sunny and Share, and it was really retarded. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was fun, and it was an extremely good
4: volume thing when we came on. I didn't expect that. So, just two fun stuff together. Yeah. We like to remember, um, how done, uh, we fell in love. We both like key journals at the course of our life, and we were in, both kept journals when we had been
3: dating. So we'll take those out every once in a while, kind of read through and see what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and just good thing. Two letters,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> well, on that note, um, let's thank our panel for being involved with us today. Appreciate that, you guys. I wish we could we could go on and on. There was a number of questions we didn't get to, but uh, thank these guys for participating. That's not the easiest thing in the world to do, you know, stand up here in front of hundreds of people and get transparent about your marriage, but... Um, I want to let you know we are featuring a book, this series, that we're highly recommending to you called Love and Respect. And we carry that in our bookstore. It's helped countless numbers of couples kind of work out this crazy cycle thing and understand it and how to get out of it. And I've been reminded that our men's fraternity, which has started up recently, is a great uh, environment where we're talking to men about men's issues in this regard. So you can check that out as well. I want to take the next just two to three minutes and uh, kind of finish out our our message today in our series with uh, just a pastoral word to you, okay? So if you could give me your attention for the next couple minutes. My experience over the years in talking with husbands and wives and in being a husband is that many, many couples, many married couples have this sense that something's not quite right in our marriage. Something needs to change. Something needs to change. It's not... It's not working the way it's supposed to. Maybe there's a tension in your home that gets so thick at times you feel like, I could cut this tension with a knife. Maybe there's anger and frustration. Maybe there's chronic arguing and fighting and arguing and fighting. Maybe there's resentment and bitterness. Maybe there's deep disillusionment, even despair. Or maybe there's been a huge betrayal in your marriage, a breach of trust. And you're sitting here today thinking, I don't even know if we can overcome this. I don't know if we can recover from what's happened in our marriage. You know, statistics tell us that in a group this size, there are are no doubt some couples, married couples sitting here in this room today right now who, barring an intervention from God, you're on your way to separation and possibly even a divorce court. Or maybe you're here today and that's not your deal, but you know, you're committed to staying together, but the truth about your marriage is you've grown so distant and so apart that, yeah, you're living under the same roof, but you're really married singles. You know, closeness and intimacy, it's just a distant, distant memory. I want to say one thing to all of us today. Hear me out. With God, nothing is impossible. Without God everything looks impossible. Isn't that true? You get your eyes on this problem and it looms so huge. It's like, how could we ever overcome this? Our problem is so big. And God says, get your eyes off of the size of your problem and onto the size of your God. Because with God, nothing nothing, is impossible. You need God today. Your marriage needs God Today, you need to turn the keys of your life over to the Holy Spirit today and say, Holy Spirit, you drive. I'm making a mess of things. We can't get out of this crazy cycle in our own strength. We can't do it. We've tried. Holy Spirit, you take over our lives today. Take over my life today. Fill me up. May I walk in the Spirit. So I'm going to ask you these next few moments, if you would, to bow your heads with me for prayer and We're going to take the next few moments and give you an opportunity to respond to whatever it is that the Spirit of God is is saying to you now or has been saying to you. And whether you're single or married today, I want to ask you to to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God right now. And I'm wondering how many of you, just by an uplifted hand, would say, yeah, God is speaking to me today. There is an area in my life that I need to surrender to to the control of the Holy Spirit. God's put his finger on it. Would you raise your hands? There is an area in my life I need to surrender the control of the Holy Spirit. You might be married. You might be single. There's something. I see probably 30, 40 hands up. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're married and you would say, I see this thing and it's affecting my marriage. It's affecting it. I know it is. Well, I want to ask you to do something if you raised your hand and and you meant it, and you're serious about relinquishing control of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to take your car keys out. Take them out of your pant pocket or your pocketbook, your purse. Just take them in your hand there. You know, our keys represent control, don't they? With my keys, I can get in my vehicle. I can drive where I want to go. I can turn when I want to turn. Our keys kind of symbolize our ability to control our lives. I want to ask you to do something today that a number of folks have done already this weekend. If there's an area that God's talking to you about that needs to be surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat, bring your car keys, find a place here at the altar, and just lay your keys out in front of you. Look at them and just say, Spirit of God, I'm surrendering the keys to my life, to your control. I want you to drive my life. I want you to take the wheel of my life and take me where you want me to go. I'm making a mess of things. I need to be filled up by you. I need you to drive my life. Would you do that right now if God's speaking to you? Just come, find a place, lay your keys out before you and just make that your prayer. Spirit of God, you drive my life. You drive my life. Husbands, wives, come. Single adults, come. You know, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, it says. Some of us just need to humble ourselves today and admit, I'm messing up. I am not showing my wife the love that she needs from me. Or wives, you might need to say, I, you know, with me at the wheel of my life, with me driving, I am not showing my husband the respect that God calls me to show him. And that's got to change. Something's got to change. Maybe you want to come as a married couple today. Just squeeze her hand, squeeze his hand, and say, let's just go pray together right now. And maybe we can find a fresh start with, with the Spirit of God now in control of our lives. As we worship and sing these next few moments, I invite you to come and just express your heart to the Lord.